0: Welcome to some Derb's Talk About Games. I'm your co-host, Mango. And I am your co-host, Buddy. And today we're going to talk a little bit about GeForce Now and PAX separately. But before we do that, Buddy, why don't you tell the folks at home what it is we do on this podcast.
1: Well, on this podcast, we contract the coronavirus. Or at least I do, which is the reason that it's been like two fucking weeks since we've... uh, uh, Since we have podcasted. Yeah, so we went to PAX. Uh, I was working at PAX, obviously. You were attending at PAX. Enjoying. Um, Yes, enjoying enjoying it. I immediately came down with Pax Plague Con Crud, you know, just like the the generic sickness that you feel like you get after Pax. But also at the same time, like, it was not a very generic sy- sickness. It was a very specific sickness with very specific symptoms that matched the symptoms of coronavirus. So I never got tested because I've essentially just been self quarantining ever since. Um, I, I, but uh,
0: <laughs> I will point out that during this convention, when I saw you, we gave each other a big hug, and then one of your coworkers gave me an elbow greeting instead of uh, handshake because he's like, "Because you were, tr- you know, your company was trying to be safe," and you said, "I don't care about any of that." And then you got. Sick. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I tried. I tried. Um, we look, we're uh, killing it. We're we're killing it here.
0: Yeah. Well. Uh, yeah. Well. So I. Uh, Um, let's let's go with the GeForce Now stuff. First, it's a little bit more kind of in our traditional sense of things and the packs can sure. run into our weeks
1: i'm really excited for this my fucking like twitter mentions were just like a garbage fire for like two days yeah and
0: uh, i i'm sorry <laughs> if i helped set that off because no
1: uh, it's okay i very much understand i very much understand this i've been, shout out to rob rob is like this one guy that i ended up going back I, mean, I eventually untagged everybody but it was just like me and him going back and forth and he was like so mad about this thing or whatever and like well we'll explain okay let's talk about g-force now it is a new subscription service that is being uh, put together and launching. I or it has launched uh, at this point um, from Nvidia.
0: Yes, um, and it's uh, it's it's essentially a, a streaming service uh, like, say, Stadia. Um, in, fa- in fact, I think Stadia, Stadia, however you pronounce it, is probably the closest service of equivalents maybe PlayStation Now or like any of the other streaming services that kind of have been flashes in the pans but essentially um uh GeForce Now is unique in that um it's not it's self-contained service right you don't pay for it to get access to games you pay for it and it provides streaming access to um essentially a computer that is running your essentially connects to your Steam library your Epic's game library a couple other things um, and if your game is supported, we'll stream that from G, uh, from NVIDIA servers to you. Um, and uh, it has been up in the news recently because the publishers of The Long Dark um, asked for The Long Dark to be removed from the service. And this has caused quite a controversy um, for a, uh, a, a number of reasons. Um, and we can get into that. Um, but first I should mention that if you want to talk about like the, the legality of this is, is probably that yes, the publishers probably have the right to, um, to, to pull their stuff from the service. If you want very good legal analysis of that, you can check out, uh, Richard Hogue did a couple of videos of this. Uh, Hogue laws is, I'm, I'm a big fan of them. I uh, love, sh- love shouting him out there and he, he goes over the le- legal precedent, um, uh, but I think that this ties into issues that we've been um, talking, like that we, as a community, have been talking about for a long time around, like the nature of what licensing a game means, rather than actually owning a game. Um, and uh, uh, another person we're fans of, uh, Eric Kane, wrote an article um, that was gen- that was kind of generally supporting in that was was my understanding. Um, and this start- sparked a, a small Twitter conflict uh, that you were part of. So you you want to talk about that?
1: Eric Kane essentially holds the position that NVIDIA is functionally renting hardware here. So it's not a, like everybody should just put their games on GeForce now and not really like worry about it. This is what I call like the quote unquote, the rental argument. The idea is that, like, look, if somebody wants to play on the service, they already have to own the game. They had to get it through, you know, like some other means. They had to buy it. They had to pick it up on sale. Maybe they got a code from Humble or something like that. Um, So there is like a real uh, you. You no one is ever skimping you uh, as a developer. So there's really no reason for the developer to pull off right. And as part of that tweet, he also said, and this is, the, this is the crazy thing. He said, I think that GeForce Now is a huge opportunity for indie devs. Now, I am speaking a little bit as an indie dev here, right? Like, obviously, I work for Akupar Games, an independent game publisher. We're publishing a bunch of games. I We've talked about GeForce Now. We have our own kind of, like, understanding of it. But I do want to be very clear in this moment that I am not, like, this is not Buddy Sola the representative of akupara games voicing akupara games this is me buddy the podcast host with an opinion on this stuff right who is tweeting his opinion and my core opinion here is that geforce now is not a big opportunity for indies there are other platforms that are willing to pay for the game for our games to be free like twitch humble epic right and those opportunities are, like, real opportunities that are putting cash in the bank now, right? Whereas GeForce Now, which doesn't pay out anything to the developers of the games on its service, wh- what is the opportunity there? It's essentially sort of like nothing. This got also tangled up in the co- the argument of, do devs, like, are devs making the right sort of decision, right? Or are they being idiots Or whatever else and i do think and on that one i am much more neutral on i kind of think both sides have a point and i can see it go either way and i don't really care one way or the other but uh but then i fought with like everybody on twitter about this yeah so
0: so i i think i think the core problem there is is to be clear is is your belief is that this is not a huge opportunity for any devs not that it's necessarily um a bad thing for devs to want to to do right like it like, yeah. by, by claiming it's done upside, it kind of gives the impression that it's downside, but that's, as that, that I understand it, is not your stance.
1: Yeah, um, exactly. And, but then, but the thing is, is that I can also answer, like, okay, so I don't think many people have met. Here is the pro indie dev argument, right? If you are an in indie dev, you got an email from GeForce, from NVIDIA, where they were basically like, hey, listen, we're running this service. Th- these are the details of the service, right? We're not paying you anything to be a part of the service but we also need your your permission we need you to sign off on this right and however many of them said okay sure right they looked at those terms and they kind of said that's that's fine that's fair whatever else but there were a lot of people who basically said this is bullshit right if you want me on your service pay me I get that it's not being pirated. I get that, like, people aren't accessing my game for free. You know, like, I get that, like, they're going to buy the game somewhere else and that's going to hit my coffers or whatever. But the transaction between you and me, between NVIDIA and me, the game developer, right, whatever my company is, is you asking me for the rights to this thing for free. And I am not – the rights to my game are not free. The rights to my game – are very valuable to me i've built my whole business on them if you want them pay me kind of thing right and obviously that like that clashes with sort of like the rental argument but i do think that that is like sound and that is like a fair argument that someone can make in the face of a giant corporation right like nvidia who is essentially kind of like I don't know. The thing, I it, what it reminds me of is, like, people saying, like, you're not going to get paid, you're going to get exposure. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? So, I, I see <laughs> what
0: you're saying, but but I, I don't think it, this holds a lot of order. Just, just to be clear for everybody listening at home, I fall much more on the Eric Kane side of the spectrum. But my issue is more of kind of, like, the way that this ownership thing goes down. Because in my mind, it's not... Asking for the rights to the game, even, even though that's kind of how it shakes out legally, it's you know the rights to the rights for a customer to stream a game that they otherwise own, which is I think the important part of this, right? Like I think in kind of like an ideal world where you actually own your fucking games, right? Which we don't. We we all license our games, and we're at we're at the kind of um, largest of these companies. Like like even streaming games is technically a thing. That if a publisher wanted to say you don't have the right to do that and shut you down, they have absolutely the right to do that. Um, and I think this this problem kind of stems from like this, this fundamental problem that we've been basically ha- had since kind of the, the digital age, probably before that, right? Because I'm pretty sure physical media still have this kind of license – um, oh, yeah,
1: no, that's, that's absolutely yeah. – for instance, like, you can't – I can't bring in my VHS copy of, like, Fern Gully and show it to my high school science class. I don't have the proper license for that. Yes. Uh, you have to buy, like, the $450 VHS copy or whatever that includes the proper license.
0: Right. Um, and, and, like, I, so I think that's, like, where you can kind of get into, like, the nuances of why this makes sense, right? Like, maybe it makes sense that you shouldn't be able to take your $20 copy of – Fern Gully and show it to say like charge admission to a theater and show it to people right like that's that's clearly what that's meant to prevent and like the science class is kind of more of an edge case where I think you could probably argue either way um uh but like and, and this is a, a similar kind of thing right like I at least in in my ideal world right like I own this copy of the game um like you know if I like say spun up an AWS instance, right? An Amazon cloud instance and installed steam on that and, uh, and play, and, you know, was playing steam, playing my games through that. Like, I think that's fine. And I thought, and you know, basically in terms of like the, the morality of the situation, let's, let's put it, I think that that's fine. And I think that my own, or like, and that like GeForce now should operate in that kind of space. Um, on the other hand, I, I do see that view from the rights holder, but I also, I don't know. Another hot take for me is essentially that, like, I don't think G2A is a bad service, which is tangentially related to this, but it's kind of the same thing. I think I should probably explain that more. Um, But I think that devs trying to assert a little too much control over things that they've already sold to people um, in kind of like the, 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 the general case, if that makes sense.
1: Yeah, I mean, like I said, I fall very like new because I I do agree with you, right? Like from a morality perspective, sure, it makes sense to me that like you own your copy of. I don't know, whatever it is, right? Factorio. You yeah. own your copy of Factorio. And if NVIDIA is going to, like, set up servers to play, like, Factorio or whatever, you should be able to, right, like, you should be able to install the game, play it there, because you already own it. Like, that does make moral sense, if not necessarily legal sense. But the other thing that, like, the Clash here for me isn't, like, the moral versus that legal sense. It is the, the moral sense of... NVIDIA saying, hey, I need this thing. Give it to me for free, essentially, right? Like, morally, no, yeah. Like, NVIDIA is making money off of their platform, and they need my permission for the game to be on the platform. They should pay me for that, right? Like, I do think an indie dev who kind of exerts that pressure is, like, exerting a moral pressure, which is, I deserve to get paid when my game is making you money on your service or whatever. And so it is like two like fair, like independent instances of like a moral thing happening that kind of like spiral out into much more complicated situations, depending on like, you know, like the context. Right. Cause I do think the interaction between the dev and NVIDIA is just like, that's a lot different than the interaction between me and the game. Does that make sense? Yeah. No, like,
0: so I, I, I don't know. At least the way I see it is that like Nvidia is effectively using its weight as a large company um to kind of pressure uh to, to kind of pressure devs in, into giving this permission. Like I might stand here and say that I don't think Nvidia should need to go get permission because of the way like that this regime is set up, right? But the fact that the legal the legal realities are what they are and Nvidia is is effectively kind of trying to 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 use its 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 weight. To, uh, so the other part of this is like, at least from what I see, Nvidia hasn't been super terrible about this, right? Like they might they may have been like you know like please give us permission. We're Nvidia. Give us permission. Which is you know there's a power dynamic there, right? But they haven't been like give us permission or else, because um, I think that that would I think that would be a marketing um like nightmare, and I think they know that, right? Like they did take down the Long Dark like immediately um and you know yeah
1: and the other and like the other part of this is that like I, so right now i'm framing it as like the david and goliath story right but there's also the goliath and goliath story of activision blizzard took all of its games off of the service right and it looks like and it's the same it's the same dynamic it's still nvidia the platform holder activision the dev right but like it feels a lot less moral when you don't frame it around like the scrappy indie dev just, like, trying to make a few bucks off of his, like, $15 puzzle platformer, right? Like, because the same rules also obviously, like, apply to... uh, The same rules also apply to Activision, which is, like, the biggest company in video games. Um, I also do think there's a little bit of, like... So so another piece of this is that like indie devs see a lot of this kind of like see way more of this thing like consumers do right you know every month on Twitch Prime there are certain indie indie games that you can just pick up for free if you're a twitch prime member you can just download each of these games you get a code for it in a build and that's it it's yours forever it's in your inventory sort of thing humble has the exact same thing humble monthly right humble choice uh actually i think they may have like rebranded it to that epic um is doing one of those tomorrow one of our games is going up for free for a week mutazione right on the epic store this is like you know you so it's and in the in the in the sea of all of these, right, you are constantly getting these giant platform holders like Epic and Humble or whatever paying you paying out for it, right? Amazon is more than happy to pay out to give Twitch Prime because it wants Prime to be a strong service for you know like its members or whatever who are like accruing real value with their you know hundred dollars. Um, so they're they are very happy to pay out to indie devs to get the to get their game on their platform for free, right? Getting a game on Apple Arcade, getting a game on stadia, these are huge deals for indie devs because that's a ton of money that they're about to get from Apple and Google, right? Like these giant giant tech industries. So I think there's a certain piece of it where like the indie devs are also just like fielding offers that have a that have big price tags attached to them. And there's a certain amount of like, well, everybody else is fucking paying me why is nvidia coming in here asking me to be on their 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 subscription service without paying right and not in like the not in in like the complicated way but in like the very simple way of just not understanding the service right like there's a certain amount even like the long dark guys like the long dark guys didn't even seem to show a very robust understanding of the subscription service in their like statement about why they like pulled themselves off on it and it does make you wonder a little bit it's just like well listen if you're used to seeing lots and lots and lots of people say hey we want to host your game on our service for free here's a bunch of money attached to that right And then you hear something that sounds very, very similar to that, right? Like, the most similar thing to NVIDIA uh, or to GeForce now is Stadia, like we said. And they say, hey, we want to host your game on our service, but we want you to do it for free. They might just tell you to fuck off because they are comparing it, like, incorrectly, right? Like, they don't really – they didn't really, like, dig into the details or whatever. Um, So, you know, again, like I said – complicated i'm i'm very neutral on this the big thing that i'm not neutral on is that i don't think indies there is basically no upside like it's plausible you can make the argument and i buy that that like there is basically no downside either but just like yeah so so I, i
0: i can make an argument for this i don't know how strong it is but like the the big thing for me is that like as you pointed out on twitter um indie indie games typically don't need the kind of hardware Requirements that like this services most. Yeah, yeah, that's like, a
1: huge, huge piece of it, right? Like, it is much easier to run an indie game. It's going to be like a couple of hundred megabytes or whatever. It's going to be low to the ground, something in Unity or like Game Maker or whatever. You're not like pushing like Crytek here, uh, in most indie games. So you don't need like if you are someone with a bad computer, you wouldn't opt it. You wouldn't like go into the GeForce now because you need that powerful hardware to run like high end stats. Like the high end specs of most indie games, they they could be run on like a toaster from ten like years ago. Like a literal
0: ago. toaster, yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs>
0: um, I, I think I I will throw into this, and this might be kind of a demographic mismatch, but um, I think that the biggest value here would be cross platform play because there's a lot of people who operate primarily on um on on the Apple uh, ecosystem, All right? Um, and and that is a thing that does not cross as easily. Um, although I will say that, like, at that point, you're aiming at people who care enough to go buy GeForce now, but also don't own a PC and only own, like, an Apple computer. Like, maybe you can get some console gamers with that, and maybe you can get some, like, people who used to game, but, like, for whatever reason have a Mac for work purposes. Um, but I um, but I think in general, that's, like, I, I, I will grant you that that seems like a, a relatively uh, small ad. Uh, small yeah, value. yeah. I mean
1: that that's that, that's kind of like um, that's kind of what it like feels like because like this is sort of the other piece like this is, like the downside to the rental argument that I sort of like hate about it is that like one of the things that makes like Twitch Prime or whatever like a real opportunity for indie devs just like outside of like them paying out right like. Look, it is a footnote for Epic Games to pay you, I mean, these are not real numbers, but, like, 50 grand or whatever, you know? And maybe they're only paying you, like, a dollar for every person who, like, redeems the download or whatever. But, yeah, like, you'd fucking like $50,000, wouldn't you, or whatever? Um, but they also, like, they have a huge marketing engine that they use on this stuff, right? So, they they are pushing you getting, you picking up whatever on on the Epic game store, right? Picking up factorio on the Epic game store. Well, like the factorio guys have a lot less Twitter followers than Epic does. So getting a tweet that says, Hey, pick up factorio is really valuable for an indie game dev, right? Uh, this is another thing that like GeForce now kind of like drops the ball on essentially, because like, because you need to have the game already in order to like, in order to play it, I have to be the one to make the sale. Do You know what I mean? Whereas these other platforms, they, they will say, hey, listen, we'll help you make this sale too, which is, like, honestly really useful. There are a lot more indie games that are great that people would buy if they could just see it, right? So the, the idea that, like, GeForce Now doesn't actually have any kind of, you know, like, promotional power, um, or I guess they do have some promotional power, but just, like, way, way, way less than sort of these other sort of scenarios that I'm laying out. Uh, that's, like, a real downside, I think, for for indie devs when it comes to GeForce Now.
0: Yeah, I mean, and, and I, I think part of that is just that, like, GeForce Now is, like, you know, g- given the nature of the product, which is, you know, basically, you know, is essentially a, sh- a remote streaming box, um, that it, it's probably just, like, not a thing that they thought about building, because it's like, you know, we'll just, like, stream people the games they already own, right? Like, and, you know... And, like, I, I think from, like, you're taking the most charitable interpretation on the G4 side, right? Like, they are just trying... Like, like th- this seems like a thing that provides... Just provides value to the customer and shouldn't really affect the dev in any way. So why wouldn't they go for it type of thing?
1: Yeah, yeah. And um, I do think it is honestly, like, legitimately clever to sort of, like let people do their own libraries when it comes to this sort of thing because like you know honestly like i would probably prefer to be running games like uh, so xbox games pass has a deal with paradox right now we talk about paradox games all the time i love paradox games right um i have all the paradox games on steam i have all of the you know like all of the dlcs i have certain dlcs that i like don't use certain dlcs that i don't think are worth it right like i have steam cloud saves or whatever that i could be like accessing through geforce now so i do think it is like a legitimately clever service in the way that they kind of like i don't know pivoted out the library thing right it's kind of like how discord live instead of discord trying to take on twitch Like, head-on, right? They basically made their video streaming service. They were like, well, what's a different sort of tack we could take with this to make it unique and offer a different value proposition to Twitch? And the answer is Discord Live, which only supports 10, well, now 50, right? But which only supports, like, you and a couple of buddies, and you all have to be in voice chat together, right? That is the sort of decision that GeForce is making here and like outside of the the kind of like devs rentals all all these different like arguments i do think that it is a legitimately clever one
0: yeah no i i i, I agree with that entirely in fact like i like you know when i heard about this is this this is a thing that i have a particular use case for right like my laptop isn't particularly powerful when i'm not at home and i like like if i wanted to play a game like this seems like the type of thing i would use for that um Uh, And I think that, like, you know, even, this is the type of thing where, like, I wouldn't buy this to specifically play indie games on, but if I knew it was going to be in a place where I had access to internet, like, say, uh, like, say, my parents' house, right, like, I might use it to play the indie games just because that's more convenient, right, like, you know, if you have a slightly larger indie game, right, like that, like, you know, it's still not procedurally intense, or, you know, uh, uh, graphically intensive, but like maybe has some, you know, like a, some size requirement to it, right? Like, you know, there, there's no need to wait at all. You can just like hit the button and hey, I'm playing whatever games are supporting, you know, factorial. Let's, let's go with your example. Um, and so I, I, do think it's, it, it's a cool product. And like, a, you know, I'm, I'm totally outside of this ecosystem of, of, uh, of, of needing things. So I like, so I, I think I'm coming from a, I guess a more pure consumer perspective. And I understand why, this guy Rob on Twitter was getting so so heated because we kind of live in this place where like we you know some like you know I've probably spent thousands of dollars on my Steam library and I don't own that right like I own a bunch of licenses that can theoretically be revoked at any time for like a myriad of what what could potentially be bullshit reasons. Um, one of the things that kind of got highlighted to me by by uh, Hoag Law's video series is that like. Um, the PC version of Final Fantasy VII, not not the remake, but like the the port of like the the, the classic game, in the Square Enix uh, end user license agreement, it specifically says you have you can install on one hard drive under your control, right? Which you know pre- prevents cloud, you know, like you know, like a remote hard drive. But more importantly, right? Like if I have two computers, I'm supposed I'm not supposed to install on more than one of them, which is kind of bullshit in my opinion right like like what but like you know but but that's kind of i think a a more inherent problem with like the like I, I don't think the the kind of media licensing and copyright structure that was built around what was essentially books um in like the 19th maybe 18th century like fits well with kind of our modern cloud-based reality if that makes sense
1: yeah um yeah and there are definitely services that like you know the the really like hardcore guys use like gog or whatever or green man gaming might be the one um just like GOG, there's a green bunch man, of different yeah. ways where you can get like drm lists right uh builds. Uh, of the of the, the games that you want but we all sort of like opt into the silently convenient uh versions of it through like Steam or through Origin or whatever else yeah it yeah. uh it is a thing
0: yeah and and but you know like theoretically right like even even the, the the good old games is probably the biggest one right um because they all they also have their own launcher in fact they have a unified now that can tie all of your games together but even those games that are DRMless are still technically under a license agreement, right? Like, they might not have the same enforcement mechanism against you, but, like, if, you know, if if uh, CD Projekt Red, who owns good old games, right, like, calls me up and tells me to stop playing my my copy of Witcher because they're revoking my license, I'm supposed to stop, right? Like, um, it's just the DRM list means that, like, the, that that threat doesn't have a ton of teeth unless they want to, like, bring me to court over it, which they probably, you know, like, it it is, this is kind of like a side comment, but, like, it is, it is kind of amazing to me how much, like, of our system is based around, uh, like, in some ways norms, in some ways, like, just kind of, like, practicalities and, like, PR stunts, right? Like, or, like, P- PR considerations, right? Like, uh, uh, what was it? Like, Like all Twitch streamers, right, act at the largest of the companies that publish the games who, who choose not to pursue copyright claims against them. And, well, part of that is that, like, it's free promotion another part of that is that like you know if if they went and struck everyone it would like be a horrendous pr nightmare right like um like per uh what's i forget the name of the company atlas maybe the the guys that do persona 5 they have the most draconian uh, streaming restrictions on persona 5 and the upcoming royale and it it aggravates people right like um somebody i follow very closely uh well, you know, formerly the super best friends now, which is kind of some of the individuals that are part of that. They set themselves up to do a, a persona five playthrough and, uh, and they got like three episodes in before they the release. They really couldn't do it. Otherwise they'd be, they'd get dinged by Atlas and they had to cancel the whole thing. And then they announced doing a, a similar thing with the new release with persona five Royale. And one of the guys, it's like, you know, I'm just not going to stream it. I can't like for my business, for my livelihood to put, to put bread on the table, right? Like, I can't afford to to play this game, which is uh, you know uh, a negative for the company. But you know it's it's it it remains to be seen if that'll how much uh, how much of a negative uh, like negative effect that'll be on on the game. But I have to imagine it'll be some. Mm -hmm. Um, But you know that's that's more of a, a rant against the system that we currently live in than than anything else. And I'm not convinced that there's like a a much better way to. Do that, like you'd have to, like I don't know, the legal machinery would have to recognize, like, sh- like basically a, a more robust set of digital rights around purchased content. Uh, it's,
1: Obviously, the answer is blockchain, Mango. All right, blockchain is the answer to everything. That's what it comes. It's like blockchains and like algorithms. That's, that's those are the words you say. Let's make a blockchain algorithm, and that's how we'll solve this, Mango.
0: Buddy. Buddy, please.
1: am i triggering you really hardcore right now
0: oh a little bit a little bit <laughs> so 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 uh fun fact this this is completely unrelated but um i know one of the guys who is is uh is part of a company lbry which is a blockchain based youtube alternative and they they they're, part of their platform is you know they're less restrictive than youtube um I think the way it works is it's kind of because the blockchain industry is kind of distributed so they don't have to pay super high hosting costs and so they don't do uh-huh. ads or anything, but you can basically put your video up there for whatever for whatever you want to. Um but apparently this guy like has been banking with I forget the bank that it was and uh but they had been banking with them for years and years and they found out that he was like involved with something with blockchain in it. They canceled the company's corporate accounts and they canceled his personal accounts, his um, his partner's personal account, and they're 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 like common law married, but they're not actually married. And they canceled their like their kid's savings account um, just because wow. they didn't like because they're like so afraid of blockchain or whatever. And they're not even involved with like money stuff. It's literally yeah, just yeah. like video distribution. It's, it's it's nuts, right? Like, but yeah, blockchain just will, will not solve this problem. Like i mean it would just be a different enforcement mechanism for this current uh, you know what i'm not gonna it, this is not worth getting into. um but uh i don't know is is there is there any other kind of angle of attack that you wanted to to, to go about this with
1: no I feel like we basically uh we basically covered it. we can get on to we can get onto the PAX. PAX.
0: yeah PAX talk
1: uh, yeah
0: all right um so uh, did did you actually get to go out and about and see a lot of stuff at PAX, or were you mostly honestly tied? very little, very yeah. very
1: little? Uh, I I spent a lot of time just kind of like hanging out in the uh, indie mega booth because that's obviously where we were located. Um, and I met and like saw people. It was, it was very like business end kind of stuff. Like I d- honestly don't think I played another demo besides the two that we were that we were really uh, even inside the mega yeah. booth. Yeah, even inside of the mega booth, because like you know, you only had like ten or fifteen minutes. It was like, oh, let me let me go introduce you to somebody, and you'd go and you'd chat with them or whatever uh, for like ten minutes, and then get back to your booth. Um, so I definitely like watched people playing, right, like Lumote or whatever else, but um, I never actually got to play it myself.
0: Yeah, um, well that's that that kind of that kind of stinks. I actually had a similar experience. Mine was a little bit less restrictive than yours when I enforced it Pax West a couple of years ago. But I was kind of in the middle slot, so, like, the only things I could do were, like... Um, I had a couple hours in the morning, and then I could go to panels, and... Uh, I, did you go to any panels this time around? No, I did not. Okay. Yeah, it feels like it's... Like, PAX West was, like, the the Exhibitor Hall was definitely a huge part of it, but it felt like less... Like, it felt like the kind of end-all, be-all of PAX East, was the, because it's, uh-huh. like... You know, it's the big central thing, and then everything else is kind of on the sides and on different levels. Whereas in PAX West, the way the conference uh, hall, the, the conference center is arranged, is like it's like the middle floor, and there are like other floors, and other places you can go to like watch panels. Um, mm. um, but uh, uh, yeah, so I guess I'll talk a little bit about some of the the bigger stuff that I saw. Um, the single biggest demo I saw was. Uh, or managed to participate in was uh disintegration um which was a uh it's it's like a how do i want to put it basically you're a robot on a so you're a person whose consciousness has been extracted into a robot and is on what is essentially like a a hover bike um and you can control three ground units one's like a heavy one's like a sniper and one's like a uh, I forget what the third one is, um, but like essentially, you, you like we played a multiplayer demo. You can control them and tell them to do things, and then you're flying in your uh, hover bike and you're shooting at things. And uh, it was neat. It was like it was like halfway between like say like a mech fighter and like a first person shooter in terms of like maneuverability and whatnot. Um, uh, one of the big kind of uh, 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 things was that like. It, you 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 got t- like each uh, each you know uh, bike and ground crew thing was a team, and like you could, you could pick different th- types of teams, right? Like I was playing like the clown themed one, which had like sticky grenades on everything, and then there was like a samurai based one. There was like a sh- like you know a street gang based one, um, and uh, uh, they didn't come out like like in the course of gameplay. I didn't feel the differences on my enemies. And I stuck with the same one, but I could imagine that like actually playing. You could get that that difference feeling. I also only got to play for, like, what, 10, 15 minutes. Um, uh, It's definitely neat. I don't know how much I care about the... uh, How much, like, I'd be interested in this as, like, a long-term multiplayer game, but the single-player campaign looked interesting. Um, They they basically gave us a preview of it in a a staging room beforehand. And, uh, you know, the the story is basically... um, uh, in, a, in an effort to uh, to to kind of save, like, there's some sort of unspecified disaster, and in an effort to save humanity, they extracted a bunch of people into these robots. But um, some basically, like, basically evil transhumanist group has tried to like d- take control of all the robot people and use them to oppress people, and now you are rebelling against that. Um, so uh, not a lot of detail there, but it looked neat. Um, I will probably be checking it out at some point when it comes out. I'm not sure it comes out, um, but it's it's at least a unique game, and, and I thought it was it was cool looking. Um, speaking of unique games, the next thing I went on, to, or like the next biggest thing I think I, I saw was um, Tiny Build, the guys who, who did the uh, like the Creepy Neighbor game and a couple other things in a big booth. You could probably see it from where you were standing uh, for a a uh, a game called Raw Men. And it's a bunch of buff dudes in like chefs' aprons and carrying around like cooking equipment, um, ostensibly ramen. Like it's like a kind of like an arena shooter, arena third person shooter. Almost you like whip like like broth at people to kill them, and it's basically capture the point. Um, Uh And it was it was neat. it was definitely fun. It's definitely be like a really fun party game, right? Like, um, but I, I don't see it being like super long term competitive. But I will definitely check that out. That's definitely yeah, a, a very, very cool, very kitschy game. I recommend that you all, uh, go check that out. Um, what else did I play? Uh, well, I did spend a little time playing, uh, Gone Viral and, uh,
1: Oh, oh, oh uh, hashtag yeah, not and, sponsored.
0: Yeah, and a uh, little time playing Relic Hunters Zero. And uh, you know, this is this is not sponsored since I and you know, I'm I do not work for Aquaparo, so I, I feel pretty uh clear to, to talk about this. But gone viral I really very much enjoyed. Um, it's a roguelite uh top down shooter. Um uh, kind well, it's
1: of not, like, it's not it's not a shooter, it's like a brawler.
0: Uh yeah. I mean, well, yeah, no, you're right. It is a, it is a brawler. It is a brawler. No, <laughs> you're, you're absolutely right. I don't know the game most reminds me of Enter the Gungeon, even though there's not a lot of shooting. You're right. You no, I absolutely
1: I mean. understand. Yeah, like that. That is uh, that is a con- like people compare it to that and *Binding of Isaac* yeah. like all the time.
0: Um, um, but but you're right. There is most there's like a hook shot. Um, but there is, um, but it's mostly about melee weapon fighting. Um, I think one of the coolest parts of it is that like it's uh the the cooler your kills the more like fans you get um and as as uh the 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 dev who was i think it was one of the devs who was uh who was was pitching it to me it's like it's it's a way to keep it from being rote um which I think is very valuable for thing for uh for uh roguelites i think once you get a certain mastery over roguelites it's very easy to kind of like have the first couple floors of the dungeon be boring cuz you've yeah. mastered it so much um, but you want to go through it because like that's how you that's how you get your first handful of pickups or whatever, right? Um and also like games usually reward you, like give you an achievement for a complete run. But having this kind of like ability to to kind of really show off by like really pumping uh stacks um of of like fans uh was, was a lot of fun. Also just like a ton of little cool little stuff. I I very much appreciated uh the same dev told me that um uh that uh, if you can do a cool kill and you don't get specifically rewarded for it, that they consider that a bug and they will, like, you know, put something in there to, to recognize it. I thought it was, um, I thought the game was super fun. I've played it uh, a little bit, not not an excessive amount, probably like an an hour or so since getting back from PAX because I got a beta code, which was uh, excellent. Uh, let, me, let me actually see what my it's probably like, it's. Uh, I have played a total of 97 minutes, and I plan on playing it some more. Even if it's kind of unfinished, it's 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 a ton of fun, and uh, I would gladly throw some money at it. Um, this this is an independent endorsement from someone unaffiliated. I highly, <laughs> I highly recommend Gone Viral to all of you out there. I don't. It's not in the early access yet, right? Like it, you you have to have no. A, it is. Uh, a it is beta. not
1: in early access uh, yet.
0: Uh, Whenever, will it, will it, can you say if it's going to be in early access? Um, we don't is, know. Uh, it's definitely on
1: the table. Where the, there's a question of do we just want to like release it and then release updates kind of as like regular content patches, right? Um, or do we want to release it like in early access in some variety and then, you know, continue adding, you know, stuff as it goes? It's kind of just like a matter of. Like, what, what would be the more appropriate category for that to look in? God Viral is, um, so, like, the dev team behind God Viral is three guys, um, Andrew, Doug, and Jeremy. And they all come from AAA dev, uh, where they were all, like, they've all worked on, like, MMOs and stuff. The big one was Wildstar that they all, like, worked together on. And so, like, they have a long view of the game and like where it's going and what content is going to be added kind of at like what milestones so it's definitely going to be like getting more tweaks and updates and all this other sort of stuff coming um new mutations they basically add in mutations anytime they can think of a good one right like the most recent one is called painiac which is where anytime in a level you take an instance of damage you get a stacking buff up to 10 but like if you heal that buff you still keep it or like you heal the damage you still keep it right so it's very much about like you take a certain amount of damage to make yourself like way stronger and then you heal that but you like you can still heal that damage off without losing your buff it's not like a risk reward type thing it kind of just like tracks it but it only lasts for the level sort of thing and it'll reset um on the beginning of the next level so there's like there's there's a lot of new stuff that's always uh coming out when they can think of you know new uh new aspects of it so have you beaten the champ yet the champ
0: uh i beat the first level i haven't gotten I, I i i was having a really good run and then i died to the arena um because like
1: god that happens to me all the fucking time so so i trap
0: <laughs> i had such like a good build too but like when i hit the arena the like multi-shot event triggered and so there were just like thousands of rockets on the screen and i was close to getting it too it's just that like it wasn't even the rockets from the from the arena boss. It was like one of the side minions was like shooting explosives that like broke the floor, and there's like wasn't enough floor for me to move maneuver around on. Um, oh
1: yeah, yeah, for sure.
0: But you know that's super cool, right? Like that that at like you know that that kind of like event that like puts a spin on the room you're in, and you know that multi shot thing applied to me too, right? Like when I shot out my grapple, I got like 15 grapples out, and it was like super fun. But, you know. No,
1: yeah. So that is that's always my thing when it comes to uh, like when it comes to Conviral. Like it is a rogue like, but it's a rogue like in the way that it like it wants to give you. Uh, like I'm trying to think. Maybe I can define this by like the other the opposite. Okay, so one of the things about um, like adventure mode in Hearthstone is you actually have a lot of control over what your quote unquote build ends up to be right because you get you know and when you defeat a boss you get to add cards to your deck and your cards come from one of three boxes and the more boxes you pick of a certain type you will also get more boxes of that type so if you pick dragons on your first set of boxes you'll get more dragons later um sort of like down the line because it allows you to sort of like build a cohesive deck uh together whereas in gone viral you have a lot fewer choices um, on how you kind of like progress it's not like truly random because like there are a lot of places where you get to choose what what you know are you going to pick up this item from the shop are you not are you going to pick up this mutation or that mutation from the vault but you just have way fewer choices and so you kind of end up in these sort of like wacky builds where it's like you have long arms and then also like a bunch of floating ro- robot buddies one of them reflects damage, the other one is like shooting lasers at guys, you're fireproof, right, or whatever. Um and so like as you pick up the different like the different mutations, like the different items or whatever, you are kind of being asked to like it's it's much less about like make your guy powerful enough to defeat the end boss. And much more about like can you defeat the end boss with a bunch of wacky shit all cobbled together. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, uh, no, absolutely. Which is, part, which, is like, yeah. which is like one side of the spectrum of, like, the roguelike spectrum compared to sort of, like, the other side, in a way.
0: Yeah, no, it, like, that's, I think, why it draws con- c- comparison to, um, uh, say, uh, like, Binding of Isaac and... Uh, and oh, uh, Gungeon. Yeah, Gungeon, because it, it's very much that kind of same sense of humor. I, I will say that I think that, like, that cobbled-together aspect is, like, core to like what I'm gonna call true roguelikes and I I I, I you know, there's we, we've had a whole episode about about roguelikes, but like in, in the in the kind of style of, say, rogue and net hack and like the the classic roguelikes is maybe the better way to put it. It is very much about like you kind of have to run with whatever you find and you, you have to kind of cobble together a strategy. Um that's actually like so it's it's interesting to me because it's kind of like how we um like how how you kind of bring nintendo hard to like the modern day in a way right like um nintendo hard being kind of like it's also arcade hard right like games that are very difficult um that kind of eat your quarters but instead of since there's no need for quarters it's kind of like you have to keep doing runs over and over again um it has this weird effect where like you'll play for a while and then you'll get a really good run and once you kind of like if you lose on that run like, well, I guess I'm kind of, at least that's the way I play it. Um, and I've, I've heard very similar experiences from other people, but that kind of like, um, you know, you have to do what you can. Sometimes you'll get a bad run and that isn't the greatest, but, um, you kind of go with it anyway is, uh, is a lot of fun. Um, and so, like I said, like I said, I'm, I'm very much looking forward to, to gone viral. Um, uh, Uh, It was uh, Relic Hunter Zero kind of had the same energy, a little bit less goofy, a little bit more shooty. Um, I didn't play enough of that to get like a super deep appreciation for it, but it was also a lot of fun. So I I will say that that was... was, that was a good time and it was, it's it's a, it's definitely a game where I'd like play on a couch with somebody else right like I, yeah
1: i mean relic hunters is a lot um relic hunters has been out already i've been talking about it on the podcast for for however long though like couch co-op is sort of a different uh different kind of experience um and what we were really showing off is like the ability to do that couch co-op like bringing we, cuz we brought switches we put it on the switch which is where it's coming out um, it was just like a lot more minor i guess um yeah.
0: Well, I mean, I enjoyed yeah. playing with a uh, friend of the cast, uh, uh, Ryan, uh, a good old Syrian. It was, it was a great time. Uh, yeah,
1: yeah. What else? Uh, like, what else did you do outside? Oh, well, so we also did other stuff. This is my thing is that like, I couldn't really do panels and stuff like that because like I had you, I had friend of the cast Syrian, Hey, what's up Syrian? Um, right. Like we were making plans all the time to like hang out and do stuff. Um, so, for instance, I played Ark- Arkham Arkham Horror. Arkham Horror,
0: yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah, um, which you did not play. Uh, but like that was that's one of the big things that they do is they do like a big tabletop uh, night where they all get together and play Arkham Horror because it's their favorite. It's their favorite board game. But you don't like the co- cooperative.
0: I generally do not bro- like cooperative board okay, games. Yeah, I, yeah I, we I,
1: ended up losing, which sucked. Uh, But we mostly just ran out of time. Like, we ran out of time as things... We were pretty on top of it, but then, like, things started really going south. Like, a bunch of people got... A bunch of people all got shunted into, like, the other worlds at the same time or whatever, and then immediately lost all of their, like, items out of, like, the same, you know, kind of completely random effect uh and then we were just like well listen it's almost midnight we got to get out of here sort of thing so we kind of packed it up but then we revealed like the next three cards and it was just like fucking brutal we were like no way we're we're getting we're getting past this um but uh but i had a great time that was a really awesome board game i do like those those cooperative board games and then we also played uh some commander with my decks on my lunch break where we where we also ran out of time um how was that? How was your first Commander experience?
0: Uh, so, I have played Commander before, so it is not oh, my right, first right, Commander. Right. Yeah, but, you know, it, it was a good time. I kind of got butt blasted. Um, I, I just I just don't think I, I got a butt... Like, the, the only things I got were draw effects, and draw effects are great, but you need to draw something to do with that. Um, well, that's kind of the nature of Commander. I'm not too, too mad about it. Um, but it was fun. Um, it, was, it was so fun, in fact, that I went and I bought uh unsanctioned oh which, did you yeah um so i can make myself a silver border commander deck at some point uh this box contains I, I have it right next to me it contains the card alexander clamilton uh so i will be building one of those at some point so that i can show up and meme on you at some point uh yeah um which uh for those of you at home if you are curious about unsanctioned uh mark rosewater did it did a couple of podcasts on it on his commute podcast, which is how i found out about it but um, it contains enemy legendaries, enemy color legendaries, um, specifically for use in like very casual commander. Given that it is silver border, but that is unrelated. It was it was a good time. I could definitely tell that your deck like had things going. I could definitely tell that Bill's deck had things going. Um, uh, uh, Ryan's deck and my deck. I saw a little bit less of the through line, but I am confident it was there. Um, but it was it was it was it was it was a lot of fun. Um, I think the table talk didn't get turned on early enough. Um, like that's I, I like wait for the the you know the clutch play where I told Ryan that I would give him all of his cards if he agreed not to attack me. Um, so for just to be clear about it, there was a mechanic where you divide cards into two piles, pick an opponent, and they select which pile you get to keep. And I told him, you can divide it into a pile of five and zero, and I will give you the five if you agree not to attack. Which I thought was, like – I thought that was, like, emblematic of, like, what makes Commander fun, which is, like, kind of the political sub-game. Um, how did you no, feel that about that No, that is
1: absolutely – that is absolutely the case. Yeah, that, that card is fact or fiction. It's, a, it's like, a, a very well-known Commander staple. It's really bad in, like, every other format, but it's really great in Commander because, like, you can do that thing where you, like, make deals with people. Yeah. Um, and uh and you did make the five oh deal. Yeah, I like that I like the pod of my vortex. Um, but one of the things is that I'm a very controlly player, and so like I like control decks, and so that pod had a lot of um, had a lot of ways to like answer boards. Um like so for instance, you found the Archaeomancer. Archae- when Archaeomancer comes into play, you can take an instant or sorcery out of your graveyard back into your hand. <coughs> Uh, and then Evacuation is an instant cast spell that will return all cards to, all like, all creatures to their owner's hands. So if you play Archaeomancer, get Evacuation out of the graveyard, and then Evacuate, Archaeomancer goes back to your hand, you can soft-lock the board um, by constantly bouncing it over and over and over again. Um, and it's like, that side, that side of stuff is, like, fun, and it's, like, cool, but it also really, like, slows down the game, because, like it means that it's much harder to develop lethal boards where you're going to try and, like, knock someone out sort of thing.
0: Yeah. Um, and, like, maybe I should lean on that if I wanted to win by also, You know, you have limited time, and I feel like if I had reset the board every turn <laughs> for infinitely, you know, like, that would have mm. just, like, and that's fine in, like, a, a different setting, but, uh, you know... It's, and, a, and a
1: lot of the times, right, like, those sorts of situations are just when you start dealing, right? Like, Bill, who had the most threatening board, would basically have said, like, hey, listen, I'm not going to attack you, don't evacuate the board, and then you'd be like, okay, fine. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, And yeah. then, that, like, so, it's like it's like that sort of stuff. But, obviously, we've been talking about Commander a lot recently, so being able to actually, like, sit down and play uh, was pretty neat, pretty great. Um yeah, the yeah, other thing absolutely. is that both me and Sarian had really tough starts, because I got hosed on lands a little bit, and so I didn't get off the ground until, like, turn five, and he also got very hosed on lands uh, until around, like, turn five. So you, so Bill, specifically, took off running, and that deck was just aggro, right? Like, that deck just wants to make big boys and just, like, cave your face in. Um, so, yeah. <sighs> That's commander, yeah. I guess.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, it was a good time. Um, before we get too far away from it, there's one other game that I wanted to highlight. I played a couple different ones, but um, one that like I really wanted to highlight was Fan- it's called Phantom Brigade. It's a it's a uh, it's a mech based turn based strategy game, um, but it's more kind of in the vein of uh, of Into the Breach in that it's turn based, but instead of um, instead of kind of like moving things and like firing is you get, you effectively get like a film editing bar and you control the next five seconds of action. Um, and you kind of slot like movement and attacks into it. Um, and you get to see during that five seconds where the, uh, where the enemy units are moving using the same kind of like narrative device that into the reach has, which is like, you've got like an experimental new temporal resonator that lets you see briefly into the future. um, which is ultimately like it's nice that they provided that excuse, but like what it what it lets you do is kind of like make these movies of mech fights. Um, and in the, the demo, you you kind of got two standard mechs. You just kind of played around. You, you got to do like one scenario uh, where you're kind of fighting off a large invading force while backing off, um, and it ends with you kind of running away. But the 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 people there uh, uh, assured me that. There is tons of customization. You get to customize every amount, every piece of your mech, um, and in kind of the way that like BattleTech, uh, I think it was BattleTech, was, was fun, but like very traditionally turn-based. This is like a new kind of spin on it that I'm very excited for. Um, so that was that was actually probably the game that I played that, um, while a little bit smaller, was the one I was most excited for. Um, uh, so you know, I played it. I came home to put it on my Steam wishlist. Turns out it was already on my Steam wishlist. So you know, this is the type of thing that happens to me with increasing frequency but uh you know that that's the game i i, I encourage you all to, to go check it out um but other than that there were uh, there were some little other little games like i wandered around the indie, indie mega booth which is a lot of fun just because like there's all like there are it has like the by far like the shortest lines of anything else in that convention um lines at at, at packs are like enormous for for these demos I, like, looked at the Animal Crossing booth and was like, yeah, no thanks. Given that this game comes out in three, three weeks, I will go play it if I want to. Same thing with the Final Fantasy VII booth. Um, but uh, uh, the indie games were, were, were all kind of neat. Like, I, I love just kind of, like, playing with these, like, random things. Like, um, the one that was next to your booth, um, like, the rhythm game where you're, like, looking at lights above you um, and kind of tapping to the beat, I thought was cool. Um, I thought it had a little, some, like, interface problems that, like, you know, like, I, I didn't quite understand all of the prompts, um, since it's kind of artistic. But I think that's fine. I think that's, like, a thing you can learn. Like, it's okay, I think, to fail the first time in those games once you're learning how it goes. But uh, um, I thought it was...
1: Uh, uh, do, do you remember what the name of that, that, that game was? Overpass. Overpass.
0: Yeah. Yeah, so-
1: I, I. I. one of the things that I have been taking away from... Um, And I want to say I like a lot, but honestly, I can't really judge because I didn't play any of the games. But there was, like, a big resurgence of rhythm games. Um, Fuser, which was, like, a DJ rhythm game. There was another DJ rhythm game that I saw. Um, Overpass was a rhythm game. It just seems like there were, like, a bunch of rhythm games at PAX this year. And as, like, a former, like, hardcore guitar hero person, I can't really get behind that.
0: Uh, yeah shout out to
1: Jimmy by the way friend of the cast Jimmy for getting me into Guitar Hero <laughs> <laughs> Um
0: yeah there was that huge fuse booth that um I didn't get so there's one of the big booths was a DJ game um and I didn't get a chance to demo it cuz again the lines were were super long but uh but uh but uh, friend of the friend of the friend of the cast Bill um uh Got to play, and he said it was excellent, so I'm, I'm going to try and check that out at some point, um, whatever it comes to. Whatever it comes to. Uh, I think it was called Fuser? Yeah. Um,
1: I saw them setting up, um, and uh, uh, I thought that <coughs> – <coughs> excuse me. I saw them setting up, and they were doing um, Billie Eilish's Bad Guy, which is, like, the number one song in places or whatever, and um, – and I thought it looked really good. I thought it looked really fun. I could definitely see how people got into it. I think one of the things, like, it was a really easy sell to get people to play, like, Guitar Hero and Rock Band. Because, like, those songs are built for, like, you know what I mean? Like, are sort of built for it. And, like, it's you have this huge, deep well of music to go down. But I remember then they put out DJ Hero, which sucked because like, it was really hard to... Um, kind of encapsulate what makes being a dj like fun and engaging systematically um and so my hope is that they have sort of like found a new way to sort of get at you know uh the more electronified aspects of music um in some of like the new controller designs or whatever else
0: yeah yeah no it's um it's it's definitely a thing that like I I feel like that that was previously served by things like Dance Dance Revolution, and the other dancing games were like it wasn't actually like a, an instrument rhythm and those were the original rhythm games too, um, but like you're just kind of like you're not playing the role of the music creator in the fantasy you're playing the role of like a dancer it's very much more more gamified experience. Um, I remember the first time I played DDR, um, it was at like a club in my high school. And the president of the club, who was introducing the concept to us, was like, "Look, you, you step on these pads in order. It's like it's like it was called like the dance club or something or dance dance club or something. It's like this is not actually dancing. If I see you doing this at like at like the prom, like stopping in a circle, I will come up and slap you. Um, um, but just just to point out the fact that like it's not like the the fantasy is is like a very it's like a very gamified thing rather than being like the fantasy of being a dancer or something." Um, which I guess like Just Dance tried to capture or like the different mo- uh, the motion yeah. capture games did. Um, I just, I, all I can think of is I'm Han Solo uh, uh, with the like the, the different dance. I, I don't know. I, th- I thought that was amusing. But um, I don't know. This is a very different thing. And like like I said, uh friend of the cast, Bill, said that it was like you actually kind of like remix the songs, but in like a way where like the the game handles the heavy lifting for you right you don't actually have to think about beat matching or whatever um the game just kind of like lets you like play with it and put tools in what you can do if you've got like a a controlled set of music right like i think it'd just be a hard game to like say mod in um other songs unlike say the other big rhythm action game in recent history which was uh 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 beat Saber. Um, which is like another kind of like this isn't really about being anything. It's just kind of like a cool way to do rhythm action. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um. Oh, I, I guess I should also mention I got to play the uh, the magic ARPG because there was a short line at the end of the comic. Oh yeah
1: the uh, the Diablo clone magic yes. one. Yeah, yeah yeah.
0: Um, I played as the mind mage. Um, it's basically it's it's interesting because like you don't play it's not like uh it's not like a typical arpg in that like you have a couple of like basic attacks but like your abilities are cards that kind of get drawn from your deck and um uh like you don't always have access to the same ones right like they kind of rotate through and about half of them i think more or less depending on how you build your deck are summons so um, every everybody plays kind of like uh like you know like a summoner character hybrided with like a, a normal character and like that you would have another ARPG. um but it was fun it was, it was very early it is very basically competent um the drops were cards and i don't know how much of that you can play um before it gets old uh so who knows but it was fun so you know i def- i think it's gonna be free to play so i'll definitely check it out at some point
1: oof i am interested to check it out though it does seem like they kind of went in the wrong direction uh, my general feeling on that sort of thing is that like you don't you don't have to kind of you can just you can just make a game based on effectively the lore right if you're making a magic game, right? If you're making a magic game and it's going to be a Diablo-like, um, experience, just make a Diablo-like experience, but your spells, if you're the Red Mage, right, your spells are going to be Lightning Bolt, and they're going to be, and yeah, maybe you have more summons, because, like, creatures are iconic or whatever, <coughs> and you can have, like, stuff with ma- or <coughs> with mana, maybe, like, you're building up to six mana, and then you summon your Shivan Dragon, and it's a really powerful spell. Fine. Um... But I don't know. It just feels very weird to me the idea that you would be like, "Oh, well, we're making the game out of magic, so we got to have drawing spell cards in the ARPG combat." I don't know.
0: Yeah, I I, I have played games with kind of that like drawing card mechanic, um, uh-huh. like Metal Gear Acid, which was turn based. But um, and it, it's it's definitely interesting. It's just like one of those things where like. I could definitely see it being very frustrating, where like you're trying to draw through your deck to get to the spell you need. Uh-huh. Um, I don't know. Also, I, I'm just going to reserve judgment until it until it comes out. Like, and, yeah. and I, you know, it's going to be free to play, so it's not like there's any cost associated with um, figure, seeing how how it plays. But um, I just don't know how you like. I, my, I'm pretty sure their goal is to create kind of like a, a live service game, kind of like say Path of Excel. But I don't know how you get the loot to kind of. Work for long enough to make it like a really compelling cycle. Um, but we'll see. We'll see, I guess.
1: Yeah. Uh, but anyway, outside of, uh, outside of PAX, what have you been doing for the last like two and a half weeks? Uh,
0: well, after PAX, I got back. Oh, what, 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 what I? I mean, I've been playing Gone Viral for a lot of it, actually. Um, I've been playing some Apex Legends where the new season dropped, which is, I think I talked about this last time, but it's fun. Um, you know, uh, it's uh, not much to say about it, really. Um, it's fun. It's Apex Legends. We've talked about it before. I think we did a whole episode on it. We did uh, a whole
1: episode on it. I haven't played it since. I really liked Apex Legends, though. Like, I really don't want to don't want to like underestimate that point.
0: Yeah. Um, what else? Oh, I've like the new season of Destiny dropped yesterday. I've played a little bit of it um the community is very very angry because it seems a little bit lackluster i haven't played enough of it to make a um a uh, a full uh evaluation but my gut is that they are half right and half wrong which is like kind of usually how these things shake out there are no new ritual weapons except for one which was supposed to come out last season and got delayed so like the, the tinfoil hat is that they delayed it so they had something to put in this season um Uh, Virtual weapons being kind of like the pinnacle weapons for each activity. You you do a bunch of stuff and you get like a a shiny weapon. Um, And they were kind of lackluster last season. Um, So, I don't know. I think they should, like, it's a little bit weird. They've also, like, kind of been rehashing some content um, in terms of, like, a lot of the new stuff is kind of reskinned old stuff or stuff imported from Destiny 1. Um, One of the things that I think the community is generally wrong about is that the weapon perk pool is... Um, being altered and none of the perk combinations are super good. And they're going to sunset old weapons at some point, Um, which um, the way I, I, it seems to me, and this is also what uh, the opinion of friend of the cast Barry um, is that um, they essentially the very meta picks are like one reload enhancing perk and one damage enhancing perk of some sort. And so because those are so good, um, those, that combination is so good. It kind of is like the thing you always go for. And so, uh, with, with, you know, a couple of different exceptions, but like that is, that is the main thing to do. And so it seems like that what they're doing is basically putting those types of perks in the same slots. So you have to have something else in the other slot. Um, I think this is a good way to in, include variation, but it can, uh, in some ways feel like they've given up on trying to balance those against other things. Like they're just like, they're kind of like forcing it out, which, I think is a valid solution, but I understand why it's aggravating, but I think on the whole, the community is wrong to get super mad about this. Cause like, like the community, I think essentially wants like a no, but make it better type of thing, but no, don't take away our old things, which is like not always compatible request. like, I don't know how powerful you can make like, I don't know osmosis, which is um, a park that changes the way, like the type of damage you deal uh, you can make that more powerful in a way that would make it compete against these, these kind of very meta perks. Um, what about you, buddy? I've been talking for a while. What what have you done for the past couple of weeks?
1: God, that's actually a really good question. I guess, so, the real answer is mostly just World of Warcraft. I, like, I feel myself, it's been about two months since the release of the 8.3 patch, and I've been going really hard on it. Um, we are on Nazoth, which I have to say is a really tremendous boss fight um it probably is the best end of expansion boss fight ever like i want to say since the lich king because the lich king was also a really great boss fight um but like boss fights have just gotten also a lot better in like the 10 years um since then so obviously it's gonna just be better kind of like naturally uh basically so the way the way the boss fight works um or well So the way the the, the sort of, like, lore of all of this stuff works is that Ny'alotha is an alternate reality, essentially, that N'Zoth lives in where he has taken over Azeroth. And he is essentially trying to kind of, like, merge those, like, that reality and our current reality in sort of like a quantum like schrodinger's cat sort of collapsing sort of thing so you have to go into nyalotha and kill him to stop that process from going on or whatever which is just like you know whatever but so it is like a um it is like the hardcore old god black empire right like all of all of like the cool the cool stuff that goes on but like the thing about Nizoth is that he's huge, right? Like, he is this giant, giant being. So, he's actually two boss fights. The first one is Carapace of Nizath where you, like... You essentially come to, like, the base, and his whole body is kind of in the skybox behind you. <coughs> and it really sends, like... It really, like, sells this, like, sense of scale. Um... And then you sort of fight his his big tentacles to gain access to him, like, on the inside, like, inside of his body. And then you eventually get to his brain, where you are having the boss fight simultaneously between him, his, like, brain and, like, his mind like manifestations like you will go into sort of these um, you'll go into sort of these like instances where you have to like kill synapses and shit but, like, you're also in Nazoth's brain, and he is, like, talking to you about stuff that's, like, going on. Like, he, will, he like, explains about the process of corrupting De- Deathwing, right? And he, like, explains about, like, how Shara and, like, Sylvanas had a whole deal or whatever. But it's in, like, the background of this boss fight or whatever. And it's just, like, very cool, and it's, like, very epic, and uh kind of just, like, the perfect way to end the expansion i don't know everybody's really mad about this one and i feel like they're just mad about it because they are like you know there's a certain the baseline here is bfa is bad right and kind of everything has to be made to conform to that baseline so like everything about bfa is kind of always bad in the way that like people like naysayers talk about it but also people just sort of um you know, they, they wanted it to be its own expansion or whatever, uh, which I, you know, I I guess, okay, fair enough, or whatever. Um, but, I don't know. It's one of those things where the expansions are built up of, like, a lot of different pieces, and so I don't really know that there is such thing as, like, the Black Empire expansion. Or, like, this also happened with Legion, like, the Argus expansion. People all always thought that Argus was going to be an expansion, and then it was just... You know, uh, the it was the final patch of the Legion expansion, and it's a little bit like, well, yeah, like doesn't that seem a little bit like natural? Um, I don't know. I don't really know how else to explain it besides that. Yeah,
0: no, no, I, 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 I get it. Um, yeah, I don't know. Obviously, I, I haven't, I haven't been playing it, but it sounds sounds like a. <laughs> Yeah, I mean the big encounter. thing that
1: we've been doing is the horrific visions, where you know, like, which is the you go into alternate Stormwind or alternate um, Orgrimmar, and you kind of do like a small rogue-like thing where you like your runs are, are more powerful. Um, we have mostly maxed out like our like our trees, where you just kind of like power yourself up. Um, and we're now getting into the position where we're running with masks on, right? So, for, so each each city is five areas, and the first question was like, how many chests can you get one for each area? So we are now in a position where we are consistently five chesting, but you can also run with with one or all or however many you'd like to activate of individual like masks that make the run harder. But like, also give you more rewards or whatever. So now the question is like, okay, well, can we five chests with two masks? Can we five chests with three masks? Can we five chests with four? masks? you know what I mean, like all the way, all the way up, sort of thing. Um, and uh, and that's just been great. That's just been like super fun. Though I do feel like I'm kind of on like the back end of it a little bit. I am feeling a little bit like wow is kind of tedious. Um, as we're like looking at about two months or whatever so i don't know maybe i'll maybe i'll break off into into another game like start a stolaris run this is typically what happens it's like i'll be like "Ooh, let me play this new other thing that just came out like the new total war patch or something like that and immediately kind of break away uh from wow for at least a little bit That, that makes i
0: mean that makes sense right like that's the point of uh of a of a lifestyle game right
1: yeah, 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 definitely. Um, uh, so, yeah. the oh, oh, I actually do have another thing I want to talk about. First of all, I fucking finally saw Knives Out on the plane. Ooh. And it was great. What a great movie. I don't know that I'm ever going to watch it again.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, I, I definitely get that. But I feel like that's like kind of like the curse of... Uh, yeah,
1: these kinds of, like, murder mystery, mystery yeah, you my know.
0: Mystery movies, yeah. like the, I, d-
1: I think I will want to watch it again, just to, like, kind of see, like, the pieces together. The clever thing about Knives Out that I thought was just intensely very cool... Typically what happens with these with these, like, murder mystery stories... Is that, like, everything is intentional, for lack of a better term, right? Where at the end of the story, when they're doing, like, the big reveal on how everything, like, worked... It was all according to someone's design, just like in a way that you didn't necessarily sort of see. The thing that Knives Out does that's really interesting and compelling is that it includes a couple of very key mistakes that certain characters make along the way that force like mid-plot adaptations, right? Where somebody goes, okay, I was trying to do this, but... Something else happened. Oh, no. Now I have to do that, right? And so, in the murder mystery, like, in the generic case, you find yourself trying to piece together the grand conspiracy of everything, right? Like, of all of it, right? Um and, and sometimes, you know, you'll catch it, right? Sometimes you'll kind of see through all the pieces and you'll be like, aha, I, I, I figured it out. It was this person who was acting on this behalf for, you know, like these sorts of like reasons or whatever. Um, but in Knives Out, because like there's all of these mistakes, it was just so hard. It was like, how can anybody, how can any, how, how, can all this stuff add up? Right? It just doesn't add up. There's all this like contradictory information. um, And the answer is, it adds up because different characters make different mistakes over the course of the movie. So, when it all gets put together, there are pieces that don't fit right, but they just but it's kind of because of, like, how time you know, like, unraveled.
0: Does that make sense? Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, I talked about this back when I saw it, back when it came out in November, but um, I thought it was really well done. I really like, kind of, like, I really like Daniel Craig's character. Um, I knew
1: you would. He was like, he. I mean, he's basically he's like, the closest to Beauregard, Beauregard in film, yeah, that anybody has ever.
0: I don't know if I don't know if it's the closest to Beauregard in film. I think like a more straight played version of that character, which exists, um, is a little bit closer. Um, okay. But but you know he did definitely evoke Beauregard, which is which is kind of why part of why I liked him. Um, uh, it was also very interesting that like like the the fact that it kind of like double twists almost right like you know the premise is that it's a murder mystery but like you very quickly find out that it's not exactly a mystery um but then there's like mysterious elements that, that like turn itself around a couple different times so you know it's it's super it's super intre- interesting um and super well done uh yeah i i don't uh I, I don't know what else to say about it, but it was it was it was it was a great, uh, uh, great great uh, great movie.
1: Uh, yeah, fair enough. The other thing that I've been doing is Better Call Saul came back, which, again, for the people in the back, it's the best show on television, and it's been the best show on television for the last five years. Um, I'm very excited because it skipped 2020, so that uh, so that Vince Gilligan, who's like the showrunner could do El Camino, which is like the post-Breaking Bad movie. Um, uh, I've watched one episode. I, I rewatched the whole series end to end, which, again, continues to be amazing and so good. And like, there's just so... One of the things that I really appreciate about Knives Out is it's like attention to details. Um, there's like a bunch of little things that you know, like, that nobody really, like, thinks about, but that matter in situations, I want to say situations like those, but, like, you know, um, in the, in the, like, committing a crime kind of, like, situation, right? Um, and so Better Call Saul does the same sort of thing, but, like, with these minute details that you should think, like, just don't fucking matter. But, like, the characters of the show are sort of smarter than the genre that they are in and they are dealing with it in a more kind of like complex and compelling way okay let me just make an example i'm i'm trying to make a point here but i can't like find the words okay so in the end of season 3 and the beginning of season 4 one of the main characters who is a sniper in Viet who was a sniper in Vietnam wants to kill a guy in like the drug game that like did him wrong. Right. So he goes out to the desert where the guy is all, you know, he's, he's only out there with his crew or whatever. He finds a spot that's really, really, really far away. And he sets up his sniper rifle and he's like, looking down the barrel of his gun, ready to like, ready to shoot or whatever. And then he hears a car horn and he's like, what? Why is there a blaring car horn in the middle of the desert? And then he realizes it is his car, like the car that he drove out here. And he runs back to his car and finds somebody has planted a stick on, like for, wedged in the seat and the car horn with a, like a little note in the windshield that just says, don't right. Like don't, uh, don't kill the guy. Don't kill the, the, the drugs guy. Now, Most other stories would sort of like move on from this and like kind of go to another place. But the immediate thought that this character, whose name is Mike, that Mike has is how the fuck did these guys get out to my car in the middle of the desert and place a note on it such that it would interrupt, interrupt me killing this guy. Like that's incredibly convenient. There had to have been some way that they were able to, that they were able to do this. (coughs) <coughs> so he spends a whole episode going to a uh, a chop shop breaking down the entire car there's like a huge montage of it and it's like really great and he just like he's like there's got to be a tracer it's got to be a tracker somewhere in here right but he can't find it and then he thinks to himself for a second well wait maybe it's in like, if they they couldn't have taken apart the whole car to put this tracer in. They had to do something that was quick and something that was easy. So, he goes to his gas cap and he cracks it open. And wouldn't you know it, inside, this little tracker, right? And then he takes that tracker and he drains the battery in it. And he puts it back into the gas cap and closes it and puts it back into his car. Then... He waits for the guys to come replace the battery and that's his lead to get to figure out who are the people that stopped him from shooting the drugs guy. And it's just like that process is so advanced and it like it all makes sense. And in the moment, it's very like, you know, uh, uh, it follows the characters very well and is really compelling. Um but it's the sort of thing that just other stories would blow right past and never even stop to thinking of, think about. Because, you know, sometimes you break those rules for co- sort of like convenience sake, right? Um, and Better Call Saul never does it. And I don't know. It's just great. It's just such a great show. <laughs> huh? sounds, sounds like it. I'll have to get around to watching Breaking Bad. I, it's, funny, it's funny. It's funny because that now that I've like, written that all out and said it, I didn't write it out, but I now that I said all that out loud, um, the thing that I'm remembering, or the thing, or the thing that it's reminding me of is like the complaints that people make about, you know, like like the plot hole stuff that we've talked about before, right? Like this is a show that hates plot contrivances. And so it works really, really hard to reduce or eliminate all of the plot contrivances that it possibly can by having stuff like this happen, right? Um, And I think that that's, like, really compelling storytelling. Uh, And I'm just kind of surprised that, like, the YouTube guys, at least, like, Mahler or whatever else, right, that, like, really harp on this kind of thing aren't keener on uh, Better Call Saul. Yeah, no, I I just
0: haven't seen a lot of... One, I think part of that is that, like, shows that handle it really well are not the kind of things that people who complain about these kinds of things, like, care about in terms of, like, making content about it. Because that's not something they can complain about, right? Like, um, the other part of that is that, like, I also, like, like, I'm sure Better Call Saul is fairly popular, but it doesn't have, like, the kind of cultural cachet that, like, like, I, like, yeah, right? Like, I don't, like... Off the top of my head, I don't know anybody else that like really cares about Better Call Saul in this way. Like Breaking Bad definitely had that cachet, but like um, Better Call Saul might be great, uh, but it's at least not penetrated my. Yeah, the funny thing is 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 that
1: you know, first of all, Breaking Bad is great, but Better Call Saul is better than Breaking Bad, mostly because the. Mostly because Saul is a more compelling character. So here's the thing. So Breaking Bad is ultimately about a pretty straightforward character, right? Walter White is fundamentally an evil person, and he slowly descends further and further, right? And there's a lot of tension and drama and depth, and like you know, there are other complex characters around him, his family, Jesse, etc., right? But like the core of that show is this one guy, Walter White, and. We all knew from the very first, you know, from the very first episode, because Vince Gilligan was talking about it all the time, that this was a show about, like, a guy descending into, like, the really deep depths of evil, right? Um, and that's, like, ultimately pretty simple. Uh, Jimmy, well, so Saul, but also Jimmy. Saul is a, he changed his name to Saul. Um... He is a much more compelling character to center the narrative around because he is like he wants to be a good guy and he makes decisions that he thinks are going to be like good decisions, but he's impulsive and he and he and he wants to be able to solve everything kind he's a he's a, he's a very ends justifies the means kind of character right. And so he'll like assign himself these sort of these sort of like moral positions and then use underhanded tactics in order to achieve them. But then like also there's a lot of collateral damage to his schemes as well. And then he gets made aware of the collateral damage and he's like, oh fuck. I was trying to do this one good thing, but I ended up doing a bad thing, and now I have to kind of like correct on it. And there's just like a lot more to do with that kind of a character and a lot more. Uh, complexity and nuance under underwriting him than there was complexity and nuance under underwriting Walter White. So <laughs> they're, they're very similar shows. They both care a lot about you know the details and everything like that. Um, but mostly it's just telling a more complex uh, character's story in Saul in Better Call Saul, uh, and that's what makes it stronger.
0: Yeah. Well, all, all right, then. I'll, I'll you would to. you
1: would honestly go ape shit for this show, also, just because it's like so like there's there's a lot of like lawyer stuff. Okay, um, yeah, that's like, definitely. Uh, have you so Legal Eagle is the.
0: uh... I watch him every once in a while. Hoag, Richard Hoag, is my preferred. Yeah, yeah. Internet so Legal Eagle lawyer. is,
1: like, the YouTuber. But he well, – so the thing that he does is he does, like, how accurate is this, like, courtroom show or whatever? And most courtroom, sh- like, shows are really inaccurate. But with Better Call Saul, it was actually – he was he, he gave it, like, an A. I think he might have given it an A-plus, actually. He was like, this is, like, intensely accurate, like, legal stuff. Um, I don't know how much of it, like, holds up in the later seasons. But at least for, you know, at the time when he made that video, it, it held up.
0: Yeah. And, you know, I've, I'm not uh- – I am not a real lawyer. I'm just kind of like a law fanboy. So you no, know, I know. Yeah, he, yeah that's he, the thing. It gets that a little just... bit off. You know, I probably won't notice.
1: But the fu- um, the funny thing, the funny thi- okay, so this is not a spoiler. It's just an opinion. I think the worst person and the most evil person on Better Call Saul, like in Better Call Saul's like main kind of like cast of characters, is Jimmy's brother Chuck, and I think you would think Chuck is the best person on on the show. Maybe not the best, but at least, like, the most, like, moral and upstanding. All right. And that, well, that's it. And I'm just going to leave you with that.
0: Oh, okay. This, 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 is, this is bait. This is bait. This oh is no, honestly this is bait.
1: bait. It is honestly bait. But, like, because, cause, you know – God, we, we should do it. We should. You should watch it, and we should talk about this. Like It's time. Let's do a Better Call Saul episode.
0: Uh, we've got a lot of promises to deliver on. And yeah, I'm you're definitely, fucking right. I know. I'm definitely going to go watch all of Breaking Bad before I watch Better Call Saul. But, oh, uh, God. I also got to watch, like, Castlevania, because season three just came out, and that's supposed to be good.
1: Uh, uh, yeah, yeah, no. Rachel saw it, and she said it was great.
0: <laughs> all right. Well. One last thing I want to talk about before we get out of here is speaking of anime. Um, uh, so I've talked about Satoshi Kon's films before. They just re-released Tokyo Godfathers and there was a uh, there was a Fathom event uh, where you could go see it. I saw it subbed um, and it was honestly fantastic. Um, I have not been disappointed by any of uh, Satoshi Kon's uh, films. Um, Tokyo Godfathers is definitely a lot more, um, a lot lighter then, uh, like Perfect Blue is super uh-huh. dark. Millennium Actress is super dramatic and deep. Um, uh, but like Tokyo Godfathers is is heartwarming and a little bit like more family. Like I, I hesitate to call it family friendly, but like it's a little bit more approachable. It's it's also super interesting. So for those of you that don't know, um, the basic premise is uh, three homeless people, um, uh, an old uh, an old drunk. Uh, a young runaway or a, a teenage ish runaway and uh, a drag queen slash trans woman um, find a baby in the garbage and uh, on like New Year's Eve and take care of it for a knife and uh, a knife, a night an attempt to find uh, the, the, her parents. Um, and it's a, it interweaves the stories of the three homeless people along with the story of the baby and, uh, uh, and uh, her parents um, in a very, very interesting way. It is, it is a movie that is full of plot contrivance, but in a way that it feels kind of like, like it doesn't directly lampshade it, but it feels like the point is that like these things work because of like some sort of magical realism, not because like, like, it's not like, like the movie kind of ignores it. Like they repeatedly go out of their way to mention that, like the baby is blessed, right? Like, you know, like they must, it must be favored for, for like so much luck to come to this. Like, like at one point they like, they're like, they're homeless people and they're like, um, they're like eating, uh, food out of a graveyard that's been put as an offering to the dead, right? Like as a way to like survive and they're like, well, what are we going to do about this baby? We don't have any milk. And one of the offerings is like formula and diapers, right? Like it's like, in it, but it's like played kind of like, like it's kind of lampshaded that like, like this is incredible that this happened and it must be like, so it, it works out like, no, I guess almost it is lampshaded in a way. Like, just cause like it, it is so like this, this is one of the themes is kind of like, it seems like it's, it's fate, but it's very, very good. I highly recommend that, um, uh, that, that anybody see it. Like I said, it was, it was re-released, remastered. I, I think you can get it digitally distributed, um, um, I know that you can get, like, Millennium Actress, which, my, which is another great one. Um, I highly recommend all of Satoshi Kon's stuff that I have seen so far. I need to still see Paprika, and I think there's a couple others that, I, that, I, that I've I missed. But um, it is absolutely excellent. Um, but that's, like, the last big thing I do with my week. Buddy, you, do you have anything else to talk about before we get out of here?
1: Nah, nah, I'm good.
0: All right. Well, if you'd like to contact us and talk to us about any of the things we talked about on this week's podcast, you can find us at games at gmail.com. Or podcast at Uh You can follow us on TV slash StimbersPlayGames. You can donate to us at Patreon.com slash games Shout-outs to anybody who picked up a chip at uh, at PAX East. Uh, this is our first episode since you would have picked that up. So uh, welcome to the family if you decide to listen to this. Um, uh, but that's everything else I had. But do you have anything else you want to promote?
1: I have nothing else I want to promote except washing your hands and don't get the coronavirus like me. Yeah. Guys.
0: Don't, 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 don't do it. Don't, don't get the, don't the virus. Don't do it. <laughs> um, I mean, if we're going to be real about this, like most people listening to this will probably be fine given that they're young, but um, the importance of this is uh, keeping, like keeping the spread down and also it will negatively affect the immunocompromised and the elderly. Yeah. So if you think you've got it, get tested, go get your flu shot so that if you get the normal, like so that you don't get the normal flu and burden the system with, you know, non-crazy weird diseases um and if you think you've got symptoms stay away from other people especially the elderly especially places like nursing homes um uh that's been your of nurse play games coronavirus PSA. Yeah. um uh until next didn't time even talk about like
1: all of the all of the things getting canceled like e3 oh and, like, yeah gdc is supposed to be next week canceled well, e3 got, got canceled
0: yesterday GDC got postponed. Sony pulled out of Pax East over COVID concerns. Yeah. Um, uh. At the time, I was like, that's ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Uh,
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: No, and you know, you know it's, it was it's, a different time two yeah, weeks ago. Years ago. Yeah. It's super funny because, like, it's like, you know, it might be tough to do this, like, social isolation things, but, like, I I go home and I play video games most afternoon, you know, most evenings, so, you know, I'm probably good for that, so continue being write, a right
1: There's going to be a blog article, because my, my work is all remote. Everybody works remote, right? Uh, we're writing an, an article for the blog about, like, this is how you work from home, and don't spend your whole day playing World of Warcraft, <laughs> like... <laughs> uh, you know what?
0: That's honestly... Sounds like an excellent article. Uh i know when i work from home i sometimes have problems with that so feel free to send it along
1: i think um, the answer is we all have problems with that mango uh and by that i mean literally all of my wow friends because i have a bunch of friends who work like tech jobs and they like work from and they've been working from home ever since you know in seattle you can't have more than 250 people in a, in a location right um they like just announced that today as like a precautionary measure sort of thing and uh <clears throat> And so I have all these friends who've been, like, working from home, and I'm just, like, looking at their Discord icon, and it's just, like, playing World of Warcraft the entire day. <sighs> uh, so I, I think,
0: I will say, I think that semi-realistically, um, it's not as bad as you think it is, because a lot of time that was, like, I'm going to browse Reddit instead of working time. Oh,
1: no, 100% that is true, yeah.
0: Uh, so it's not quite so bad, but, you know, uh, you know, it's definitely a skill um, to learn. Um mm-hmm. But uh, we can talk about the trials and tribulations of working from home next time. Um, and with that, until next time, dear listeners.
1: Until next time, loyal listeners.